Music from Garth Knox, his viola spaces. And this week we feature an interview with the Paris based composer and viola player. This is Amplify, the podcast from the Contemporary Music Centre. It's episode 52, and joining me again this week is CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Jonathan. So before we get to Garth, a quick update on some of the work that CMC has been involved with in the recent weeks. Well, it's great to be here sitting in your office in person, Jonathan, recording the podcast. And it's been a busy few weeks for CMC, yes, with uh, Choral Sketches, one of our flagship professional development projects, which is in partnership with Chamber Choir Ireland. Two years after the call for participants, as you know, Jonathan, those composers who were selected for Choral Sketches 2020, David Bremner, Kerry Hagen and Peter Morn at last had their workshop with the singers of Chamber Choir Ireland and guest conductor Niels Schweckendijk on Saturday the 13th of November. And this is after so many months of uh, expert choral mentorship from Chamber Choir Ireland bass and composer Owen Desmond and mentorship from composer Kevin Volans in the the initial stages of the project in early 2020 and really the excitement uh, at the workshop was uh, so evident Jonathan a real buzz in the room and uh, all the necessary safety precautions taken with regard to Covid and such a gift for these three composers to hear their new pieces of choral music their little snippets and sketches and to be able to try out all the different techniques and extended techniques with the expert singers of Chamber Choir Ireland. And then we also had the launch of Malachy Robinson's new CD, a full album of works for double bass by composers from Ireland, many commissioned by Malachy of course Jonathan and premiered by Malachy over the last number of years and uh, an important document I think of the repertoire of double bass music from from Irish composers. But of course sadness too Jonathan over the last week as uh, we uh, said goodbye to one of our most established composers, the Irish symphonist John Kinsella. Indeed, yes. Uh, and we hope to mark John's passing in a future episode of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. And so to our guests in today's podcast, Garth Knox. And Yvonne, Garth is one of these artists who very effortlessly moves between the two points of composing and performing. Yeah, and that's what I really enjoyed about your interview, Jonathan. This unique perspective that Garth shares with you on his musical world as a composer and a performer. And Garth music is always so engaging for the listener and his performance of his own music and and the music of other composers is always so engaging and committed for the audience you know so he's a joy to go and see when he performs live and and his works are a real joy to listen to and I think that's really conveyed in the interview that you had with him that the joy that he gets from music making So let's have a listen now to my conversation with Garth. This was recorded at the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris in September when I visited. He spoke to me about his experiences of composing during lockdown, being a performer composer and his approach to writing for instruments. 
But I began by asking him about music he had composed to accompany an exhibition of plain chant manuscripts that had just opened a week or so before at the Centre Culturel Irlande. Here it is. You've actually written music to accompany an exhibition that's currently running. That's right, yes. yes. Tell me about this piece and the exhibition. Okay, well, uh, Nora had a good idea to um, get into this exhibition of the the manuscripts they had, the music manuscripts in the library, because they have a bunch of manuscripts here which are available for to consult, but normally people don't usually see them. And so they decided to have an exhibition about the, the plain, uh, plain chant, basically, which is the older form of singing in churches and Gregorian chant and all this. They have some very, very good looking manuscripts and also some which are very used in the chapel here because they have a beautiful Baroque chapel, as you will see at the entrance, a really nice one. And the, 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 the organist and the people who worked here kept records, kept scores of the, the, the services. And so she, she gave the, the score of one of these things, which is the Vespers for Saint, the St. Patrick in a version which was probably very old, but had been revised in the 19th century. But a working manuscript was saying, we'll play this one time, do this one. It's a little signs of life in the manuscript. And I think six or seven composers were asked to write something around this to inspire themselves by this. The idea that it would be played during the exhibitions or when we were walking around looking at these manuscripts, that they would hear something related to what they were seeing. It's the same melody in each piece, but you can, everyone's treated it very differently, so you get different worlds. In the, it's a very nice idea. I found it very inspiring, this little, you know, a mm. through melody that, ever, that was being shared. I did a piece for Viola de Mori, multi-tracked. I thought it was a simple solution to the, the present problems of playing with anybody else. And actually, the Viola de Mori lends itself very much to it. There's the basic notes, there's lots of drone notes always, whatever you do, there's always the strings that hang on. So it's very, you can play on top of yourself very easily, as you just have to record several times. And I thought this, the, the idea of a single line, which is the basis of plain chant, will be very nice with this on, on the Viola de Mori, about having a drone beneath, and then layering it with what, for me, was the history of the manuscript. So I played the tune in my own little version, quite simply, just unaccompanied. And then I added around it lots of other sort of decoration filigrees, like, like a, a monk who is illustrating a manuscript with little drawings in the side. And showing a bit of its roots is a little bit of reference to a bit of Irish folk music here and there, because everything comes from there. And then there's a lot of other references, and then just general atmosphere around the manuscript, what it said to me. I had a vague idea of how the piece would be when I started, but I didn't know for sure. And so once the recording was done, it was a question of assembling the piece from the constituent objects I had in front of me. And that's, that was the creative moment of finding what you could make the piece with then. So I didn't write it down and try and play what I'd imagined. I played first and then made something out of the bits I'd played, if you see what I mean, which is a very different process, but, but interesting to also.
been featured in a concert series in the Netherlands, September Me. That's right, festival. yes. Mm -hmm. um, were, you, were you there? Were you the well, I was very much there. I went for the whole festival. Yes, they have a very nice festival. There's a, there's a, a Dutch quartet called the Regatze Quartet. They invited me to this festival because they commissioned a piece from me. That's so why they made me composer in residence, which was very nice for me. And they, they're very creative. They add things, all sorts of bits of what... They have a theme. This year was theme was heroes. They're a very nice creative group, and they wanted a piece which is a little spatialized. And so I thought about how we could do things. And strangely enough, I was writing that piece during the lockdown. And I'd started, I'd done one movement and had ideas for others. And suddenly, this thing happened. We couldn't play anymore. We couldn't go anywhere. And I, it, at first, it, it, it stopped me in my tracks. I couldn't write anything. I don't know what other people... Some people have said this to me also, because what, somehow time stopped. And when time stops, I mean, time is what you base, you base your life on. And also knowing that, you know, next week you have to do this, and after that you have to finish by this certain time. And then suddenly, this notion of time disappeared. There was an endless space opening up that no one knew it was going to be over, and all this kind. That stopped me writing completely. And I wasn't sure how to handle it. Until I got a phone call from a, a viola player in London, Lawrence Power, who asked me to write a piece to do with the lockdown. And he said, look, I, I, I've got the Royal Festival Hall. I can record anything I like in this empty hall. And I want to do a, a piece, you know, a new piece which, which responds to the lockdown. And so at the time, as you know, they were, everyone was doing these online concerts and everything. But what struck me as strange was they were pretending everything was normal, where it was very far from normal. So the musician would come to stage you know, as if there was an audience. And so they would play very seriously with this thing and then not really bow, but sort of smile awkwardly in this total silence and walk off. And I thought, you know, it's so unnormal un that someone should be pointing this out. And so I had the idea for an imaginary piece of this viola player who imagines he's playing with a string quartet. He imagines three other people, and he imagines a full hall all clapping wildly and great deal. And, but it's all in his head. There's actually no one there. So in the piece, you see, and Lawrence made a very nice video of it, where you see him walking into the, the Royal Festival Hall stage, completely alone, completely empty hall, and behaving like he's, you know, has three friends, and he's all very happy, it's all going very well, and at the end, triumphant, turning to the hall. And there's a very nice moment, this is the end of the video, I don't know what you write to the end, but he sort of smiles, he sits down, he's very happy, and, he's very, and then suddenly it sinks in, it was all a dream, and he, a moment to collapse. <laughs> it's very nice. But that, that helped me, then I thought, you know, this could be a subject, because it made me write, I wrote a string quartet for one instrument, because the situation was, you know, no one could play together, so people had to imagine their own chamber music. So I constructed with the four strings of the viola, a string quartet, a virtual string quartet. No, better, not virtual, imaginary string quartet. Big difference. And like, like a child you who know, plays alone, imagines a friend. They're not yeah. virtual friends, they're imaginary friends. It's much more real than virtual. They're, they're really there, imaginary friends. Yeah. And my three players in the, in the quartet were there for me with the other strings. So I made up a piece where you could play one string, two string, three strings, four strings. And that got me over the hump in a way. And when I got back, back to the Ragazzi Quartet, 
I then had an idea and I wrote a lockdown blues, the middle movement of their quartet is also a lockdown because I was playing around with this it's cello pizzicato technique, which I call a looping pits. I didn't invent it, but I, I sort of picked it up and someone showed it to me. It's a really great technique where you play a note with one hand and then you play the same note with the other hand. You have to pluck the string. Each hand does what the other hand does, but alternately, which gives a circular move, always going upwards, but never actually moving. So it's a, it's a very pointless exercise, but it sounds great. And so I thought this would be perfect for the baseline of a lockdown quartet, you know, people sitting around doing nothing pointlessly, but trying to do something interesting. Respects performing and composing are, are, I would imagine, two sides of the one coin. Absolutely, in playing and composing, they, they help each other, they nourish each other. I mean, you, when you play a really good piece, it gives you ideas to write another piece, or the instrument can suggest an idea for you. Yeah. And when you're writing, you understand, you know, the, the sort of over, overview of the music much better. And when you come to play a piece by someone else, you, you grasp it much better because you, you know how, what, you, what you would do or you know what the, you try to understand better the, the process of composition, which helps mm. greatly with playing. Mm. And actually when I'm composing, very often there's a viola in the piece or a viola de Moria or something, so I'm trying things out you know, physically. And that, that can, those can be part of the ideas. You get physical ideas of what you could do in that situation, as well as musical ideas and, and sound ideas. When you're composing, you're very much you, you would have the instrument beside yes, you yeah, a, there's yes. a string part and you'd be playing. Yes, and, trying to and if there'd be in a piece of many parts, towards the end I would always go through each individual part as if I was a player, if I were to play, just you know, feeling what it would be like to play that part. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you think, you know, this is not working, is it, this, this isn't the right role for that person at that time. Mm -hmm. So I'm very concerned about how it feels to play my music as well, I'm very, I'm having been a performer for so long. I'd hate to give them a part that they, they, they really weren't enjoying or they had nothing to do or you know, they, they, they were used badly. Yeah. So I try and give everyone you know, something, to, something to do with and to relate to the whole, to be an important part of the whole. Yeah. One of the pieces you know, that I was struck by when, when I was going through your list of works was viola spaces. Ah, yes. And also violin spaces, which is an adaptation. To me, it seems like a, a type of like 21st century set of etudes. Um, I don't know whether you'd agree with that or not, but mm -hmm. um, perhaps you might tell me a little bit about, about where this idea came from in the project, because it, again, it, it sort of relates to what you were saying about some of the things around different techniques and different effects that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the viola spaces were very important for me. It was when I, after I left the RDT Quartet and I started playing a lot, I also started teaching some people. I quickly realized teaching contemporary music had, had many problems, <laughs> and usually many problems at the same time. And I, I noticed that the basic techniques that we, you know, we were using every day in contemporary music were exactly the things I was never taught at the conservatoire and the people weren't teaching. And so it was a very much an oral tradition, or you just try and do it yourself. And I thought maybe it's time to have some, as you said, studies, but, but concert studies, you know, fun pieces you can play in concert, which use the techniques like, like you know, pizzicato, the very simple basic techniques which you use a bit in contemporary music. 
and really concentrate on them so that you know someone who's learning an instrument can learn to concentrate on what may be considered a secondary technique but actually when you, when you look at it properly you can learn so much from any of the secondary techniques and, and they in contemporary they call them extended techniques which is a very good way of describing their techniques which are there already in classical playing but you develop them to such an extent they become extended and they go beyond the the normal technique. So um, I decided each study should reach one technique and only one technique and that the music should be generated by that technique. This is very important. So uh, <laughs> a very concrete example, if you're taking Su Ponticello, which everyone, you know, it's in every contemporary piece, but no one ever teaches you how to do it and people don't agree on what it means. So I thought I played around for ages improvising all kinds of different types of sort of Ponticello techniques and then put them all in a piece which makes kind of sense and you have a little sort of line experimenting all these different techniques with the, the hope to create in the player a sort of exploration of that one technique over, over the time of a piece and so stay with that one technique not trying all written in a very straight rhythm simple to read no difficult notation only one problem well not problem one point of interest being this sound of the so Ponticello For that, the player builds up a repertoire because each of these techniques is actually not really a technique, it's a, it's a sound world. And when a composer puts an indication like this in the piece, they're then giving musical responsibility to the player because there are things you can't write down the end result of what you're doing, those sound effects, they're colors. Mm -hmm. It's like giving someone, an, you know, painting my numbers. Mm -hmm. You give the melody and then you, you say what color you would like it by writing something like Soltasto for the Ponticello. Mm -hmm. But the player has to go into his range of colors and choose the one that's most suitable for this piece. And order to do that, he has to have a range of colors. And so my idea was, I called them spaces, because each, for, each, for me, each one is a space to explore. So the space of the, the Sol Ponticello space is a way of exploring everything you do with the high harmonics of the strings by playing the string in a, in a special way. And so I went through eight techniques, which seemed to me the basics. And for me, compositionally, it was a great help, actually. It opened up windows for me because, as I say, each technique, each technique generated the piece. I didn't think I have this piece which I want to use Ponticello in. I thought, I have to turn this technique into a piece. Mm -hmm. So I had no ideas about style before starting the piece. I had to listen and play and fool around. And then little by little, as the ideas came out, a style began to establish itself, but from the technique. So the eight are very different styles, different, and each one's sound world is based on one idea and one idea only. of the classical techniques yes. uh, and it's often at the exclusion of some of these other other Absolutely. techniques that allow yes. um, you know young developing performers to maybe find yes. their their style yes are, are, I mean are you hopeful for any of those things changing or, or you know have you seen evidence of it I think it has to change people are trying but it, often the problem is that um, the conservatory is a bit, the system is a bit self-perpetuating. You know, the teachers, they teach what they've been taught. 
and the, the, the basic problem is repertoire, because if people play more contemporary pieces, then they would obviously learn these techniques because the teachers will be teaching them. Mm. But the teachers of the players usually don't play contemporary pieces in the conservatoires, which means they don't teach them, which means the students don't learn them, which means they have to, when they come out, they have no training in these techniques. So it's self-perpetuated. I hope things are moving. In, in France, they try very hard, but they do it in a kind of academic way. <laughs> But, but in other countries, in, in, in Holland, for example, or in Germany, in some places in Germany, there is some hope on that front. Mm. But I'm always surprised that com composers and players are, are taught quite separately and taught different things. And often the composers know more about the instruments than the instrumentalists do, which is very strange. Mm. <laughs> They're yeah. taught what's possible in an instrument, having heard lots of contemporary pieces. But this knowledge, most of the students at the same conservatory don't have it. I mean, the, the ones who play the instruments usually don't know these techniques or the, the repertoire of their own instrument as yeah. well as the composers do. So that's an that's a imbalance that has to be corrected somehow. The, the way the composer is, you know, is, is kind of schooled to find out as much as possible yes. for, about a particular instrument, yes. to, to, to sort of know the limits and, yes. and, and, and often, and, and also to test the limits. To test the limits, very important, yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Because as soon as the composer writes a really successful piece for an instrument which has a, you know, a new technique in it, all the students will learn it because if it's, it's a you know, piece which is adopted, it just comes to the repertoire, there's no, they can learn anything, there's no technique they can't do. Yeah. It's a question of getting these pieces into the standard repertoire, that's the, the basic problem. Once they're there, there's no problem, everyone will learn them and everyone will learn the techniques. Yeah. So yeah. we need more, I don't know, does it, because, you know, successful is not the right word, but a piece that really works that is adopted, I don't know what the secret is, but, but a piece that goes across that line and is picked up by the classical players as being you know, acceptable and comes into the repertoire, that's the way forward. Which is a bit what I was trying to do in the viola spaces, because I know the kids, they have to play you know, a little, they have to include often in conservatories one contemporary piece written between these dates. Mm. And so my little pieces are sort of three, four minutes long, they're quite fun to play, and then the dates fall right. So my hope is that people will pick them up, and by, by doing that, these techniques will then creep, seep into the repertoire a little bit of the, the more classical players also. Mm -hmm. and, and also, it clearly has, has achieved that, you know, part, part of that aim in, in that you've, you've adapted it for, for violin. I wrote well. new pieces for the violin. It's the same ideas, but new pieces. Right, and and new now pieces. I'm going to do it for the cellos, because it's interesting for me, I'm, from a compositional point of view, I'm going to use the same ideas, but write new pieces for cello, cello spaces, yeah, logically. Yeah. Yeah, and is that that kind of technique that you were you were saying, or that approach, I should say, where you're, you're starting with a particular a particular element or a particular sound? Yeah. In this case, a, a technique, and you're seeing how a piece yes. develops. Is, yes. is, is that typical to to all of your works in terms of how you approach uh, the the composing? It is a bit. Yes, I usually have a central idea, which then opens up, and often, to my own surprise, begins to turn into you know the the, the main element or. Yeah, it's, it's very, very intuitive, though, how I work. I, I, so at the beginning, I'm usually a bit lost, I think, until I find this one what I think might be a good idea. And it's a question of, tr of recognizing that idea and trusting it, and then, then the piece will work. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned the word intuitive, because when I was prepping for this interview, I decided, you know, I'd maybe take a slightly different approach and, and think about a couple of words that I might use to describe your music. And, Mm. Intuitive is the first one, actually. I would gladly take intuitive, yes, yeah. I freely admit it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's nice, that it, it's strange to hear your own intuition working, and it's a thing you can't force, but it's a thing you, you recognize. When the intuitive voice speaks, 
you always recognize it, but you, but you, you can't make it speak, you have to wait for it. So, so when I'm writing, there's often a moment of waiting around and nothing very much is happening. Yeah. And then sometimes just as I'm giving up, you say, okay, I'm going to call it a day. And then, well, what if I did this? And then, and then you, you, if you let that happen, that's when you have the, the best ideas and the best work. For me, yeah. it's like somebody else takes over. You, you try and it doesn't work. And just as you let go and think, I'm giving up. And then somebody else steps forward. So just one minute before, <laughs> before we go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, presumably that's, that requires a, a degree of kind of patience and, and staying does. power. It does. Patience and trust, Jen. <laughs> mm -hmm. So intuitive is one, yes. is one word. Virtuosic is another word. In a way, not, not in the writing technique, in the playing technique. I like virtue. But what I like is things that sound really virtuosic, but they're actually quite easy. <laughs> so it's the trick. I look for things like that. The effects are really stunning. But actually, if you do them properly, I'm, I'm also very phys I think a lot about how to play physically and the physical part of it and the gestural side of it is very important for me. Even when I'm writing music, I think of the gesture of that music and how it would feel to play that music. And there, if you get, again, if you get that things to work for you rather than against you, you can do virtuosity things quite easily if you use the body in the right way, use the instrument in the right way, mm. and have this little sparkling idea. Mm. That's when you get the real virtuosity, which is so nice when you're natural virtuosity, not forced virtuosity. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. And you use the word natural. That was the next word, natural. Ah. <laughs> well, I'd be very happy to be that word, yes, natural was what I would strive to be. I'd like to be na as natural as possible, yeah. Because then you, natural for me means it comes close to sincere. And sincere is what I really I respect and admire in music. When you, when you hear someone whose music is really sincere, you recognize it and it, it, it works. And mm -hmm. Sincerity is the, one of the most important qualities, I would say. Two more words. Free. Free, yes, yeah. In the, in the sense that I'm not really schooled in composition, so I have no real constraints, no laws telling me what to do, because I don't, I don't know what to do. So free in that way, yes. And also, uh, I, I felt quite free in my life in the, in the musical world, because I, I kind of somehow managed to avoid being tied down to things too much. Maybe it's a question of running away from things. But I would, I, you know, in fact, I like to keep my free choice. I'm happy to go along with things. I'm very easygoing. But I always reserve the right to, you know, if, if, if another idea comes up or if, if I want to go a different direction, that I can do it. And that's been very important to me. I've been in, you know, very important big groups, like the Ensemble de Aldebar or the RDG Quartet. Where, and he, when I left these groups, people would say, but you're crazy, why are you leaving such a great group? What's going on here? But, you know, I felt I had to be free, so. Right, right. So not wanting, not wanting to be constrained, or not wanting to be constrained for too, for too long for a too period. For too long, yes, too long a period, yes. Mm. Yeah. And the final word, uh, joyful. Joyful, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Well, for me, music is a joy, it's a pleasure, you know, it's a, it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a physical pleasure also when I play, I like to, the physical feeling of it. And it's a social pleasure, and it's, it's a, you know, it's, it is a joy to be music. I mean, obviously there are very sad pieces, that, and maybe the most beautiful music is the saddest music. But there's something about the joy of playing that, yeah, I can't resist, and the joy of writing as well. When you hear a piece that really works, <clears throat> you know, the, the smile, and it's the sort of music we need at the moment, actually. Post-pandemic music should be joyful, I think. Garth, thank you so much okay, it's for a your pleasure. time yeah. and uh, for those for those insights and uh, for being my first 
in-person guests. <laughs> oh, no, yes. That's great. And, first, and your first time in the Paris Irish Centre, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so many firsts. Right. <laughs> Garth Knox, performed by Concord and ending this conversation with the composer. My thanks to Keith Fennell who edited this episode. That's all for this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a selection of interviews with some of the artists and composers behind the recent Music Current Festival. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>